Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help sustain yourself and your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be discussing seven deadly sins for retirees and a little known tax elimination strategy that can make a big difference when you sell your business. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and president of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great, but not in my normal studio today, Jeff. <laughs> Sounds I'm like traveling it. traveling and speaking right now, so I'm calling from my hotel because, as they say in showbiz, the show must go on. <laughs> that is right. So you're out on the road. I know that you do this regularly, out doing seminars and informational things and so forth. Specifically, what is this road trip all about? Yeah, I'm on the road doing seminars, uh, helping landlords with their retirement strategy from being a landlord. So there's a lot of folks out there that own investment real estate and they don't know where to turn to. They can't go to their strip mall advisor or their CPA or or real estate professional to have all the potential solutions that are out there. So I'm trying to get in front of as many people as I can that that have this situation where they're getting to a point in life where being a landlord isn't the end-all be-all to what they want to do with the rest of their lives. So I'm on the road uh, sharing that that message uh, with, with a lot of different people. Well, Brian, we appreciate the time today, even though it is on the telephone. We've got a lot to talk about on today's show. Be careful out there. We'll look forward to you being back in the studio next week. Brian, you know, we've all heard about the seven deadly sins. They're lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. What would you say is the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to retirement? Well, I'd say it's a little bit of all of that. We're, we're going to do a little twist on this. You know, normally we, we talk about diversification or lack of planning or that kind of stuff specifically. Uh, we're going to have a little fun with it today and, and kind of mirror it with what the Bible talks to us about the seven deadly sins. And throughout the, the Bible, it seems like all the problems occurred from one of these seven or two of these seven or three of these seven. It keeps referring to them. And, and it's interesting to just equate that to, okay, you know, we have all these things in our life to some degree. Maybe it's a very low degree. Maybe it's a very high degree. And, and they aren't awesome things. They're, they're not good. So how do we equate that and look out for pitfalls as we apply these to our investment strategy? And Brian, it occurs to me that the one thing that all these sins have in common is that they really have to do with emotions. So we'll keep that in mind as we talk about this. The first one is lust. So how does that apply to people's financial portfolios and making these financial decisions? Yeah, like I say, we're going to have a little fun with this today and not not, uh, lust in the way you might normally think of it, but lust in the way that taking care of yourself becomes your end-all be-all, like make myself feel good and just doing things for me. I, you know, I, I equate that to, I remember I was in Arizona visiting my dad once and, and he was taking me around the retirement community and, and he had these friends and they were, they were saying, boy, I wish, bet you wish you were, you were us. And I said, why? And he said, well, we sleep in, I mm-hmm. golf every day, I come back, we watch TV 
and we have some cocktails, an early dinner, go to bed and get to do it the next day again. But you're stuck working. And I was like, wow, uh, kill me now. <laughs> and if I had that, in, and literally Judge Judy was on the TV when he was right. telling me that. I'm like, right. if my life was about golfing every single day, having cocktails and watching Judge Judy, I would say my life wasn't very awesome. But they were focused on themselves and they weren't doing anything for anyone else. And I'm looking at this situation and wow. A lot of people, that is, you know, everybody can do what they want to do that makes them happy. I know that I couldn't be happy if I wasn't doing things for other people. I was, in fact, last night uh, with a business colleague, and he was asking me, how many boards, charity boards are you on? I'm like, do you even know? And I go, uh, no, let's, let's count them out and my different activities. And we counted eight of them. Wow. And he's like, wow. You're making a difference. I'm like, everything I do, I want to make a difference, whether it's at work or personal life or whatever. And if I'm serving others at work, I'm happy at work. I love my job. If I'm serving people in the community or, or beyond uh, through maturity works, whatever, I'm happy. I mean, that, these are things that, that matter. So trying my best to, you know, I, I think I become depressed. I, I understand there's a stat out there, 30% of retirees become depressed within their first year of retirement. Well, you know, if you're serving others, you're, whether it's your grandkids or, or friends, whatever, it, it could be many different ways to serve others. But thinking outside of yourself, I think, might be a good place to start. Yeah, and I think that as human beings, we are hardwired to connect. But you're right. I think, you know, day in, day out, playing golf and especially watching Judge Judy, that would make me pretty depressed as well, too. Let's move on here from lust. The next one is going to be gluttony. How does gluttony relate to our finances? Yeah, gluttony is, is where, you know, you're looking at a lump sum of money and trying to figure out, well, I guess I could spend a, a bunch of this uh, every year because, you know, there's a lot here. But a lot of us, you know, people that come into a bunch of money often, you know, they're separated from that money pretty quick because they don't have a plan for it. You know, every lottery winner you've ever heard of or professional athlete, uh, many of them, they made a lot of money. And by the time they're they're retired, they're, they're broke. And you're like, well, how did that happen? How in the world could that have happened? Well, you know, gluttony, uh, we don't have a, a plan. We just think, oh, it'll always be here. I'll just spend it. How bad could that be? And well, it can be really bad, especially with retirement, because, you, you know, with a professional athlete, once they're retired, they can't go back and make a bunch of money in their profession. Same with you as a retiree. You can't just go back and, oh, let me do a reset. Let me do a redo. Well, I'm 65. I'm 70. I, I don't get to do a redo anymore. It is what it is. And so there's a lot of regret out there. When I, I meet with people, there's a lot of regret on how they spent their money when they had it. And they didn't think about, they didn't have a plan for later. And, you know, they get to retirement and they go, well, wait a second. I did not do a good job. I, you know, I spent too much relative to what I needed to retire when I wanted to retire and live the life I wanted to live in retirement. So really this talks about uh, your desire to overspend when you have money available and about uh, having a plan that says, well, let me monitor that. Let me dole this out appropriately financial plan can help you figure out what that number is. If you don't have that, then boy, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you just go by feel. I don't know, but people do that all the time. But gluttony can be a a spending money too fast can be a a real problem. And you were talking about lottery winners, uh, Brian. I saw a story the other day that says the Powerball jackpot winner, Edwin Castro in California, just bought a $25.5 million Bel Air mansion. Now, this is a guy that lived very conservatively, probably much more conservatively than most of us live, but he sprung on a $25.5 million mansion. Now, I think he might have won, you know, something like a billion dollars or something like that. But you had mentioned to me a stat at one period of time 
that talked about what the percentage of uh, people is that pass along wealth like this to a second generation. Yeah, uh, big wealth like that, generally, I heard the stat, it's less than 20% wow. of estates that actually have money go to the second generation of any consequence. And you think, well, if you're starting with $100 million, shouldn't you have money going? Yeah, you should, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't really happen that way. And so even generational planning can be a part of this. Uh, it's not even maybe your generation, it could be the next generation. Because a lot of times, if you didn't earn the money, you know, and you worked hard your whole life, you have this big sum of money to, to leave your kids, you think, oh, they're going to be great. Well, if they didn't earn it, they may not know how to manage it. They may get into bad deals. They may make big mistakes that they can't undo. And then there's nothing left for the grandkids because we didn't use trust and so forth and do proper uh, generational planning. And so, again, it could be just, you know, maybe you're okay, but you don't know what the next generation uh, you might might do with money that they didn't earn themselves. So, Brian, for most people listening to the program today, they don't have, you know, a billion dollars to spend. Let's say that they've got 500000 a million, maybe $2 million to spend. How do you put together a plan to decide what they can spend? Is it the 4% rule? Is it selling them an annuity? How do you do it? Right. No, it's not either of those because that oftentimes just does not work. I mean, a lot of people look at financial planning like that and they try and simplify it, whether it's the annuity salesperson or somebody that read something. Oh, what's your number? It's a million. Oh, take 4% a year. That's, you'll be fine. Like, well, maybe not. And so it, it's about doing the plan first, not putting the product ahead of the plan, but the plan ahead of the product. So the plan, if, if done properly, will tell us. One of my favorite data points when we do a financial plan for someone is on the very last page, it says, okay, this, this is how much you said that you spend. And then the next number is this is how much you could spend based on our analysis and assumptions. And that's a very important number. If it's less than what you actually spend, okay, we, we need to do some adjustments here. If it's more, it tells us how much cushion you have in retirement, and maybe you could spend more than you planned. And you know, and then we look back at the plan, and that's where we look at product. Okay, do, do we need to solve for cash flow first, security, growth, tax savings, liquidity? What are we solving for? So you know, putting the the product ahead of the plan is generally how the financial industry seems to operate. We don't do that here. We put the plan ahead of the product. Brian, I'm sure that our listeners may have some questions about our conversation today, so I want to open the phone lines right now. If you want to potentially lower your risk by looking at strategies and systems that you may not even know exist, then call 833-673-7373 right now so that you can request the Madrona 30-point analysis. If you feel that you may be guilty of at least one of these seven deadly retirement sins, then again, call 833-673-7373 right now so you can request your Madrona 30-point analysis to see what could be a better way to manage your retirement plans and your portfolio. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime. There is no cost and there is no obligation whatsoever. You've got to have at least $500,000 of investable assets to qualify for the Madrona 30-point analysis, but those who do qualify will be able to enjoy this conversational analysis intended to dynamically cover a wide range of topics based on your unique and individual situation so that you can proactively adjust your financial plan into a strategy to help avoid making the wrong decisions at the wrong time. And as a bonus, we'll be sending you out Brian's new book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. So all you've got to do is call 833 833- 
1-800-673-7373. You can do it right now. You'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line that'll set up a conversation with a Madrona advisor, and that Madrona advisor will get back to you within one business day to find a time that works for both of us. Once again, that number, 833-673-7373, Brian, let's continue with our conversation about the seven deadly sins as they relate to our finances. The next one is going to be greed, a very, very powerful human emotion. It is very powerful. And what's interesting, people come to me and say, well, your job is to make me rich, right? I'm like, absolutely not. That is not my job. Your job was to make yourself rich. That's what your goal was. Uh, My job is to keep you rich if you are rich. Okay, I'm not here to make somebody rich. I'm not going to just do this go for it kind of thing, which I could do. Uh, a couple examples of that, uh, an analogy would be if I, if I drive 100 miles an hour down I-5 for every appointment, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be, I'm going to be there early. It's going to be fun. The, the ride will be great until that one time where it isn't. And I get in a big old wreck. And, and so that might be a kind of a go for it uh, scenario. Another go for it scenario might be, well, we love tech stocks. Tech stocks have been doing great. Let's say that we had a million dollars in retirement at the beginning of 2022 and we said you know what not only do i love tech stocks i love them so much i'm going to buy the triple of the nasdaq i'm going to you can buy an etf that triples the return up or down of any index and and the nasdaq is the tech stocks primarily so if you'd done that with a million dollars the nasdaq dropped well over 25 percent let's say with just 25 percent you would have been down at least 75 percent right out of the gate and then when it recovered the next year and let's say you, you managed to keep that money in there and not panic and pull it out. But let's just say you left it in there. Uh, you might be up 120% uh, so far this year. But now you're, you know, you lost your, your million became 250,000 and 120% of that, you know, you might be at 550 or something like that. You're going, well, wait a second. <laughs> I went for it in something I thought was great tech stocks, right? And my retirement is slashed. I mean, I, I'm in big trouble. This is great. So sometimes we, we, we need to define our objectives. Once you've gotten to a certain level and you have a proper retirement plan and you're able to live the life you want to live, do you need to be richer and richer and richer and take that risk? Because when you take risk, you're giving up security. Most people in retirement uh, consider security above growth very often, and especially cash flow above growth. So greed can kill retirements. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it. I you know, certainly saw it. In, in 2000 through 2003, I saw it in 2008. I've seen it uh, outside of those time periods where it, it could be not just stock market investing, but other kinds of things that you've done. So greed can be a, a, a real a deadly sin for retirees. We're talking about the seven deadly sins for retirees. As Brian said, we talked about lust, gluttony, and greed. Brian, the next one is sloth. Now, I would think that that is people not putting their plans together. Am I right or not? Well, not necessarily. Uh, it could just be not identifying what the issues are, for instance, income taxes. Income taxes are huge, obviously. It's their biggest expense in our lifetime. And most financial advisors don't put together an income tax plan. That's where we get most of our clients, in fact. When we ask them, we, we ask them, well, why did you pick us over everybody else? Well, because you guys are a CPA firm, too. And I need answers to my tax questions, estate planning, all this stuff. And I can't get them from the typical sources. You know, the advisors, I'm told over and over, they're not allowed to talk about income taxes. Well, because they're not CPAs. But their employers won't allow them to answer tax questions. They consult your tax advisor. Well, aren't you managing my money and making decisions relative to the taxation of those? Yeah. 
but you can't talk about taxation. Yep. It's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So it's not necessarily, sloth is an interesting one. It's not necessarily something that you as a, as, as an investor have complete control over because that can apply to your financial advisor as it relates to income tax planning. And Brian, the next one is wrath. And when I think about wrath, I think about anger and I think about aggression. How does wrath apply to retirees in terms of not making emotional decisions and one of the seven deadly sins? Yeah, I've had a lot of conversation with people that are upset about what uh, bad decisions in the past. And that's why they're in, you know, in my office, perhaps. And they made their decisions emotionally. And they're keeping, maybe holding on to stuff that they don't even want. Because they'll say, gosh, I got, you know, I got in these terrible investments. It makes me mad every time I look at my statements. But I got to hang on to them. Why? Because I've lost a lot of money. I got to earn that back. I said, well, if you had that money today and didn't own that, that stock, would you buy it back? And then, well, heck, heck no. No way would I buy this stock. I said, well, that's what you're deciding to do every day you hold, every day you hold on to it. Because you could sell it and do something else with it and not, not let emotions of the past dictate your investments for the future. We need to make good decisions from now forward. And really when it comes to investing, when we have anger about decisions that have been made or or whatever, it generally makes us make future bad decisions. It compounds itself because we're trying to make up for a loss that you're not going to get that money back. Okay. When a loss has occurred, it's it's occurred. I mean, you don't necessarily get to make that back. So we should look at our investments without the emotional baggage of wrath and, and making decisions. And, you know, time, you know, a lot of people, then, well, i got to time the market to, to get my money up and all this stuff. I'm like, well, as soon as somebody figures out how to do that accurately, you know, let me know. It hasn't really been done. <laughs> so it's time in the market, not timing the market. So I, I see emotions uh, play uh, difficult. Uh, <laughs> when you have emotions in your investment decisions, uh, sometimes it doesn't go well. The next seven deadly sin that retirees may face is going to be envy. And when I think about that, it's like looking out the window and saying, well, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you know, I can't retire yet because I don't have what they have and I just got to keep working. How does envy play into this conversation? Yeah, envy, you know, that's a, that's a huge one. We're Americans. Always think that the person with a billion dollars must be the happiest person in the world. And uh, I think most of us can agree. Generally, that's probably not the case. They probably, yeah, they can buy really nice stuff, but so can most of my retirees. You know, we can all go to Daniel's and get a really nice steak, whether you're a billionaire or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a really nice steak there. You can, you know, we, we can live the life we want to live without having billions of dollars in, in the bank and, and so forth. But, uh, you know, if we see other people have stuff, I remember when I started public accounting, we did this group of doctors and and they made a lot of money. I've never, I've never heard of anybody make as much as these guys did. And, you know, I'd, I'd see their, their expenses go through. And, and one month, one of them would buy a boat. And seriously, like the next month, the other six would buy a boat. <laughs> and, wow. you know, they, they'd buy something. And the other ones would buy the same thing. And, and they would call me before the end of the month for their distribution. When are you going to get that done? I need my money. I'm like, wait a second. You make more money in a month than I make in two years three years at the time. Right. I'm like, you're running out of money before the end of the month. And the reason they were was envy. They wanted to have what each other had. And, and I was, I'll never forget that lesson. It was my first year of public accounting that these folks were making more than the, the Seahawk players. were. You know, it's more than anybody I'd ever heard of in my life. And they couldn't make it through the month, a couple of them. And I was like, wow, what a lesson. 
So we got to put the brakes on envy. Uh, think about what do you want? How do you want to spend your time? What is enough for you? Don't let the envy of other people's financial situation rob you of your of your time or your happiness. And so envy can be a yeah, real retirement destroyer for, for some. And the seventh of the seven deadly sins that retirees may face is pride. And this is really trying to do it all yourself. Yeah, that's that's probably the one I see the most. People are like, uh, even on my, my real estate talks, uh, seminars that I'm traveling to, to do right now, I, I'm talking to people that, well, I don't, don't want someone else to manage my property. They won't do it as well as I do. And I'm like, really? You're 80 years old, and you can manage properties better than one of my DSC sponsors that have been doing it for 52 years and manages a $20 billion portfolio and has people on the buy side, the sell side, the property management side, has computer systems, all that. And you need to retain control because you're better than they are. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay. No, they're better at property management than we are. Or stock market people, you know, they're like, well, I, I do my own research and I buy my, my own mutual funds, whatever. It's like, okay, that's fine. But you realize as a do-it-yourself investor, you know, and they're like, why, why should I pay someone else to invest when I can just do it myself? I'm like, well, that's your decision. But as a do-it-yourself investor, obviously, you, well, not obviously, but you do not have access to fixed annuities, indexed annuities, cash flow for life, for safe accumulation, opportunity zone investments, Delaware statutory trusts, private non-traded equity and debt REITs, private equity investments. Uh, I can go on and on. You don't have access to that stuff. You cannot buy them on your own. And so you have to go through a licensed financial advisor. So with pride, you just took out a lot of the tools that we talk about on our show all the time that you don't have access to, but your own pride says, well, I'm not going to work with anybody else. I'll figure this all out myself and save a buck. But it's going to cost, it could cost you your uh, successful retirement if you don't have access to products needed to obtain that successful retirement in, in my view. So, you know, that, that can be a, a killer right there. I understand, you know, very often I'll, I'll somebody say, well, I'd like to manage some of my money. I'm like, great, go for it. You know, do your thing, buy the, you know, the stock your neighbor tells you to buy, whatever. Have your own account, that's fine. But for the majority, for the serious money, we want to protect it, make sure that you have a successful retirement and don't take too much risk. And, and so, you know, we manage that portion. Maybe they take a sliver off and, and, and do their own thing. And th that's fine to do. You don't have to turn all your money over to us if you want us to be your financial advisor. But generally people trust that, no, it makes sense to, to do that. And, and most of my clients put the pride aside and, and say, you know, let's hire a professional for, for this. You don't do your own surgery. You, you know, you, a lot of things you don't do yourself. Uh, maybe this is one of them because because of access to products, if nothing else. Brian, I'm really enjoying this conversation, but I do want to take a moment right now to open the phone line so that folks can request their Madrona 30-point analysis. Don't wait until it is too late. Just pick up your phone. You can do it right now. Phone lines are open at 833-673-7373 so that you can discover additional ways to potentially improve your quality of life for the next 30-plus years. As I said, phone lines are open right now to make your appointment for this review. That number one more time, 833-673-7373. If you're just joining us, this is Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. I'm Jeff Shade. And we've just finished discussing seven deadly sins for retirees. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. You'll get this show and weekly takeaways so that you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. 
Brian, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we'll be discussing a little-known tax minimization strategy that can make a big difference when you sell your business. Stay tuned. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to Growing Your Wealth. My name is Jeff Shade. Appreciate you joining us again this week. Brian Evans, of course, is with us. He is the president and founder of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And Brian, you're on the road this week educating and informing people here in the great Pacific Northwest. Again, why don't you refresh us on where you are, what you're doing, how the weather is out there. Yeah, I'm on, uh, in the Inland Empire, uh, Spokane, Coeur Lane, giving speeches in both those locations to investors in, in investment real estate and uh, getting solutions on how they can exit from being a landlord. So kind of retirement strategy for landlords. So I'm enjoying uh, chatting with a lot of folks. They have a lot of questions and a lot of interest. And a lot of people are like, how come I've never heard of this stuff? And well, that's why I'm on the road right now, just so I can get that word out there because a lot of this stuff is little known that we talked about. In fact, uh, this radio show that we do, a lot of our topics are things that I hope, I suspect are topics that people scratch their heads and go, how come I haven't heard much about this? Why haven't I heard this from people I'm, I'm dealing with or whatever? And this segment, we're going to do another, a little-known tax minimization strategy that can make a big difference when you sell your business. So this is the kind of stuff we'd like to talk about, not the basic you know, one-on-one stuff. We like to go right. to 401 on this show. Well, Brian, we appreciate you spending the time with us on the phone today, but let's talk about our topic here. When someone is selling a business, Brian, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, a lot of people think about, you know, negotiating a, a sales price, but you know, when you when you do the, the deal yourself, there's so many issues to selling your business that maybe you don't even think about. It's another one of those situations where you don't know what you don't know. So I like to talk to people way ahead of when they plan on selling their business. Before you get to a sales price or who you're going to sell to or anything, make sure you're maximizing the value of that business. Now, we're going to talk in this segment about how the tax minimization strategy, of course, but I would like to have you minimize a lot of taxes rather than a little because you got a better sales price. And focusing on the things that, you know, when we look at a sale of a business, there are various ways to value a business. It could be just liquidation value. So that's the minimum. That says, all right, I got some stuff. I got some cars. I got trucks. I got some equipment, some tools. Uh, I can sell that for 50 grand. My business doesn't really have any goodwill value. Okay, that's just liquidation value. But we want to get more than that if you have a business that's truly making profits over and above and that contributes to goodwill. So you can sell it based on multiple of net earnings. We call it EBITDA, earnings Mm -hmm. before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And getting that number up and figuring out the right multiple on that is how generally a lot of businesses are sold. So making sure that those numbers are as good as they can be before you sell it is huge because there's going to be a multiple assigned to that. A multiple might be four times. It might be eight times. It might be something uh, lower or higher, depending on the type of business. But making it a turnkey business and having high earnings, net profits, is huge in, in valuation of a business. So there's there's a lot that goes into figuring out a sales price before we start figuring out, okay, what, what are the steps we can take now that we've got a sales price? Maybe we have a buyer. We've negotiated that. Now, what about the tax minimization part of that? 
Brian, I think a lot of people misunderstand whether or not they even have a business to sell. So how do you define a business that is saleable? Yeah, it's something I, I use the term turnkey, meaning that what happens when you take yourself out of that business? Can it make a profit over and above what it costs to replace you as the worker? So if that's not the case, let's say I have a sole proprietor attorney. Well, when that attorney leaves, there's no one to do any billable hours. There's no value to that business. I don't care how much that guy was making or gal. Uh, there's no value to that business if they walk away. So instead, they could say, all right, they're going to hire some junior attorneys and pay them a salary. And the billing rates were higher than what they're paying out. There's a profit to that thing, even without any billable hours from the owner. Okay, that, that business might have some goodwill. So it's the turnkey. When you're gone, what is that business earning? And is it earning excess profits over and above what you would pay for somebody to replace you? So some businesses have goodwill, some do not. And the ones that do not, again, might sell just on liquidation value. But the ones that do have goodwill, that goodwill could be a lot. And so that's, uh, you know, a lot of businesses out there are going to be selling because the owners are often baby boomers. Baby boomers are, their average age is a retirement age, late 60s right now. And so there are a lot of businesses coming up for sale. And there's some of these businesses, again, that I'm running into can sell for a ton of money. So if they do it right. So the first question is to ask yourself whether or not this business can run without me if I weren't here. And if it can't, then you really don't have a saleable business. If someone is listening to the program and they're not ready to sell their business today, Brian, but they're saying, you know, I'd like to sell this business in five years or so, what are some of the things that they can do as many as five years out to properly prepare themselves for the sale of their business? Yeah, I I mentioned getting your profitability right and getting your succession plan right internally, making sure you have when you walk away, it doesn't just die because nobody wants to buy a business going to die when you retire, you know. So make sure you have that succession plan within as far as I don't mean necessarily succession plan of selling it to somebody. I mean, succession plan of who's going to be doing the work Mm -hmm. that you are doing. And so that's really important. Getting your accounting right is huge. I've seen businesses that could have been sold, but their accounting was so poor that no one would buy it because they don't know what they're buying. you got to have really good solid accounting so that someone can look at that and your tax returns, your financial statements, and they make sense. And they, okay, we can see what's going on. It's, it's, and, you know, we know what we're buying. And that's pretty much what anybody has to go on. If you don't have that, I'm looking at your business. I don't know how it's running. Is it in the hole? Is it in the black? Is it in the red? I, I can't tell unless you give me good financials. And I remember I was looking at a CPA firm once. I told this story before. He was trying to sell a CPA firm. I'll put CPA in quotations in this case because <laughs> I asked him for a copy of his financials. He's well, I don't really do financials. I got some schedules here and here's some clients and here's how I did last month. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You own a CPA firm you want me to buy and you can't produce a financial statement for me? Mm-hmm. This is what we do for a living. <laughs> it's like, wow. And his tax attorney he handed me, well, it's not really accurate because, you know, I put a lot of personal stuff through that. Okay, and you're cheating on your taxes. Super duper. So I just got up and walked out the room and <laughs> that was just like, I cannot believe it. So even, even a CPA sometimes doesn't have proper accounting. I guess it's a shoemaker whose kids don't have shoes. I don't know, man. It, it was something. I was just shaking my head after that one. But you got to get that stuff right. And then you got to have a, you know, it's great to have a plan, you know, as far as the topic today is tax minimization strategies. So now it's a question. It's not just selling your business. There's so many ways to sell a business. Are you selling the stock? Are you selling goodwill? Goodwill tied with a a non-compete agreement. 
These are taxed differently. Are you selling equipment, hot assets, installment sale, money down? Are you exchanging some of it for stock? There are so many attributes that can happen with a business sale. They all have a different taxation uh, associated with them, too. And Brian, I want to talk about that taxation, but it occurs to me that there's a simple question that at least came to my mind, too, when it comes to selling a business. I can sell it to somebody that I do not know, and that's one way to sell a business, but you could also sell it internally. You could sell it to family members. How do you determine what's the right way? Or let's just say that I want to sell it internally. I want to sell it to the employees who've helped me build that business. What's the process you would need to do that properly? Yeah, you, you nailed it there, Jeff. There's like three main potential buyer categories out there. There's an external sale, so strangers or or competitors or whatever. There's an internal sale. There's now two ways to do an internal. You can sell it to family, as you mentioned. You can sell it to employees. There can be a combination of those, but I think that sums up selling it to your family, selling it to employees, selling it to external buyer. So with an internal sale, uh, that can be interesting. If you're selling it to the employees, essentially, to, that would be your succession plan, of course. They would be doing what you used to be doing. And often I see that done on what I call, I term as an earnout. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you're going to earn a portion of the profits now because I'm selling it, but that portion of the profits you need to pay to me on a note based upon the sales price. And so you're basically giving them the firm in this case because you're giving them the profit to pay you back with. In exchange, they've got to work the firm for years to pay you back. So you're getting paid out of their work, their profitable work from that firm. But that can work out really good because often employees don't have the down payment, uh, the money it takes to buy your business. So they can do, an, as I mentioned, an earn out. They can earn that money over years when you're retired. Now you're taking some risk there because you're not running the business and you got to make sure they're going to run it right. And so there are things you want to do to protect yourself. And maybe there is some down payment. Maybe it's an SBA loan. We can talk about that. We're secured by the, the stock and equipment of the business and accounts receivable and so forth. And so there's a lot of, I'm sure, a few people that are listening that thought about, well, I'm just going to sell my business someday. It sounds easy. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> it's not so easy to get it right. And I'm like, well, if you want to get it right, it is hard, but you want to do it right because it is your business and you've got to get it right. You don't get to do it twice. You don't get to sell your business two times, uh, hopefully. And so that that's why it's really important to get it right. And I would think if you're selling it internally, too, it's not just an overnight type of thing, too. Generally, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the owner, the seller of the business is going to stay on for a period of time to help the new owners transition and to make sure that everything is right. And typically, how long is that? Is it a couple of years, three, five years? Yeah, if it's an internal sale or family sale, that, that could, could be something that happens over a decade. But where it's an external sale, generally any buyer says, you got to stay on for a while. We're, we're going to need you. We're going to need you. Your clients want to know that nothing big has changed, that you're still here. We need your expertise, things transitioning, all that stuff. So generally, they, they want to have you stay one to three years. Uh, if you're selling your business, you can negotiate a salary there. Uh, it could be negotiated as a non-compete where you're paid over a period of time not to start a competing business and certainly that might be an attribute that that has value to them because you know let's say i sell my financial planning business to somebody and they say oh great i'm going to own that market share in there and then a year goes by and i go well i think i'll just start it up again and (laughs) everybody wanted to excuse me again well that wouldn't be fair to the buyer of of my firm so i would absolutely say yeah i'll I'll do a a long non-compete pay me x amount and i won't compete with you in a geographical area etc etc 
So that very often needs to be part of purchase sale agreement when you're selling a business. Brian, for those people who are listening and they're thinking about selling their business and they're thinking about retiring, I mean, should you wait till the day you retire, the day before you retire to sell the business, or is it something that really you need to plan for for years in advance to get it right? I think everybody listening knows the answer to that one, Jeff. We like it plan ahead. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, right. Yeah, whether it's your retirement or selling your business. Yeah, if you're if you have a business, I would start at least five years ahead of planning for that, ahead of actually selling it. You got to get your ducks in a row now. Now, another interesting part of this discussion, though, you might say, "Well, I don't have a business," but you know, last time I checked, every sale of a business has a buyer. So if you're considering buying a business, this is an opportunity to help that seller. Maybe it's an internal, maybe you're an employee of that business and you want to buy it because the owner's 70 and wants to retire and so forth. Maybe you could start working on succession plan for that person with them to make it a win-win situation. And, and you could end up with a, with a real good scenario. That's how I own Bauer Evans CPA firm. I did that for, for Bob Bauer. And we, we had a very successful transition of the ownership of that business. So sometimes this could, this isn't just for the seller. This is, you know, like I said, every, every sale has a buy. So this could be the buy side too, as part of the planning process. And for those people who are listening and they have a business they're interested in in selling, certainly Madrona Financial and CPAs can aid in that process. But I do want to make one very important point here, Brian, is that we are not business brokers, okay? We don't do that, but we can help you position your business for a sale. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, call 833-673-7373 right now so that you can request the information that you need to help you in a smooth business sale. You can also request your Madrona 30-point analysis at 833-673-7373. And if you're avoiding selling your business or real estate because of taxes, again, that number 833-673-7373 and request your Madrona 30-point analysis and discover the many different exit strategies that are available to you. Now, you've got to have at least $500,000 of investable assets to qualify for the Madrona 30-point analysis, but those who do qualify will be able to enjoy a conversational analysis intended to dynamically cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation. Now, when you call, and again, you can do it right now. We've opened the phone lines for you. You'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line who will ask you a couple of basic questions. Then your information will go to our Madrona team who will reach out to you within one business day to schedule your 30-point analysis. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to help uncover some blind spots while improving your overall quality of life for the next 30 years. Once again, that number, 833-673-7373. That's 833-673-7373. 73. One call could make all the difference. We're talking about selling your business with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, of course, we did talk about taxes. Do you just sell your business and then bite the bullet? I mean, do you just get nailed by taxes? What are some of the alternatives in terms of tax minimization when you're selling a business? Yeah, well, I, I have seen that happen a lot. Uh, hopefully not under our watch, because let's just say, uh, for an example, that somebody sold a business and in the final analysis, they bifurcated the sale between uh, certain components, components being goodwill, real estate, and maybe staying on for a while under with an employment agreement and or a non-compete agreement. Well, all three of those scenarios, components, the bifurcation of the sale, have different potential tax effects. So we'll start with the goodwill. So the goodwill is going to be taxed as a capital gain, generally, for anybody selling a business. 
And so in the state of Washington, that can be another 7% on top of your capital gains tax, which could be the basic 15, you could be up to the 20, the Medicaid tax, 3.8% on top of that, and then another 7% on top of that. So we're talking 30% already. And so that can be a big hit. Now, there is something called an opportunity zone, qualified opportunity zone investment that you can do with your gains. So let's just say, for argument's sake, that you sell a business and the goodwill component was $2 million and you had cost basis in there of a half a million dollars. If you sell that business, you have to take the half million dollars out with no tax. That's great. That's your basis. You, you, you can take that money out. But the million and a half gain, capital gain, you can put that money into what's called a qualified opportunity zone investment. That's generally an investment in a real estate endeavor, some kind of real estate development project. And that allows you some certain tax advantages. The first one is you get to defer that tax for a period of time, um, call it uh, four years. And uh, it's not an exact number, but uh, approximately that. So you can defer that tax for a period of time. You will have to pay that tax. Now, you think, well, okay, deferral is nice, but it's not awesome. I'm like, I would agree with that. But the new investment that you make into the Opportunity Zone investment, if you hold that at least 10 years, it will be permanently tax-free. It's as if you put it into a Roth account because none of the gains will ever be taxed. You can do that with the capital gains portion of the sale. So as I mentioned in my example, I had three components. I had the goodwill that I could defer money. I don't have to do it all. Maybe I want some cash. I'll pay some tax on that. And I want to put some into the Opportunity Zone investment. I had some gains from the real estate. That's the one where I would be talking 1031 exchange, perhaps into a Delaware statutory trust. Now with the Delaware statutory trust, that component gets deferred but it also can receive a step up in basis someday so that none of the tax, none of, you know, there'll be no tax on any of the gains from the real estate if that were to occur. So that's a better result than an opportunity zone. But with goodwill capital gains that are non-real estate, non-investment real estate, the QOZ, the Qualified Opportunity Zone Investment, is my potential avenue to get uh, tax benefits. But with real estate, I have an additional benefit uh, using 1031 exchanges into Delaware statutory trust. You know, I'm kind of nerding out here a little bit, but these are some of the opportunities available to someone that is selling a business. If they do it properly and understand how to, to bifurcate the sales price amongst its various components and end up with the best result for that business seller. So it sounds like that there are two things you can do, at least two things you can do with the proceeds, one of which is the of course, with a real estate going into a Delaware statutory trust, the other one that you talked about was the Qualified Opportunity Zone. Can you explain a little bit more about the investment that would be in this Qualified Opportunity Zone? Can you give us an example of investing in a Qualified Opportunity Zone, what that would look like? Yeah, that's generally where an institutional-grade real estate developer has a project planned and so maybe it's a redevelopment of, you know, changing big box stores into drive through self-storage or redeveloping a, an apartment building that, that didn't get completed into a condo project or building something from the ground up, something like that, where they're generally going for a higher risk, higher return type projects. 
So this isn't for everybody. But, you know, and that's why I mentioned also that you don't have to put all your money into it. Uh, uh, generally, the 1031 exchange, you do have to. But in this case, well, you actually, in either case, you don't have to. You're going to pay tax on whatever you keep out, whether it's a 1031 exchange or a qualified opportunity zone investment. But, you know, you can diversify into different ones. There's not a ton of them out there that I would put money into, but there are some. And so that is just an avenue. And it's, you know, the point of the show isn't to say, hey, I've got a, a great qualified opportunity zone. I may or may not. But at any given time, uh, we certainly have DST opportunities at all times that, that we like. But the point of this is know your options. And these are things that probably aren't being talked about in great depth from maybe the people that you're talking, you know, your, your advisors uh, currently. This is hard stuff. It takes a while to get to understand this stuff, how the tax interplays with the sale and so forth. I mentioned also, you know, you might have an employment contract or a non-compete agreement. Well, that's going to be uh, ordinary income. So that would not be eligible for either the qualified opportunity zone or the Delaware statutory trust through the 1031 exchange. So there are many components potentially to the sale of a business, all the different taxation. So getting that right isn't easy, but it's worthwhile if you do, if you go through the exercise. So the commonality between the OZ or qualified opportunity zone and the DST is going to be tax minimization and possibly kicking that tax can down the road with the DST. We've talked about swap till you drop with an opportunity zone. Of course, there was the adjective qualified opportunity zone. I would imagine that both of these, of course, require you being a qualified investor. Yeah, yeah, you got to be an accredited investor, a million dollars outside of, uh, net worth outside of your principal residence to even have the discussion about any of these things. Generally, when you're selling a bunch of investment real estate, which you know qualifies towards your net worth outside of your principal residence or a business, you know, oftentimes folks I talk to certainly more than qualify for that because the numbers are, are getting pretty big on some of these uh, deals. But uh, yes. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, you do have to be an accredited investor to do either QOZ or uh, DST. And there are a few financial advisors that I've spoken with who have heard remotely about either one of these two things. They don't know a lot about it. But of course, you have been in this field for a while there at Madrona Financial and CPA. So how would you vet, for example, a qualified opportunity zone? Because I would imagine there are zones and then, hey, there are zones. So how do you tell the good ones? Yeah, oh, that's that's a good question there. I mean, there's a lot of things that people maybe don't even think about. Uh, as I mentioned, with the Qualified Opportunity Zone investment, you are going to pay the tax in, in a few years. And it's like, okay, does the QOZ investment have a plan to provide cash flow to that investor to pay their tax? Because if they don't, you're going to go, wait a second, my money's tied up in that QOZ. It's illiquid. Where am I supposed to get the money to pay the tax? <laughs> it's like, well, that's a great question. So you want to make sure they have a, a plan for refinance to distribute some cash to the owners at the proper time when that tax is due. So there's something even outside of just vetting the project, just understanding the, the, the movement, the, the cash flow needs, uh, matching the liquidity with the need. So that's a huge one right there. So something that I think gets overlooked. But certainly, uh, I, I think with any real estate investment idea, whether it's a DST, a REIT, a private non-traded REIT, a public trade REIT, QOZ, with any of these, the sponsor, the, the people managing it is critical. Who is that? What's their track history? What's their exit strategy? What's their fees? How have they done? What are they good at? What are they not? 
understanding that is, is critical. So we spent a lot of time on the vetting process of the sponsors. We've gotten to know them you know, over the years, of course, to really do as good a job vetting as, as we can possibly do by not only understanding the project at hand, but the sponsor. That's huge. I think that's more important than the project sometimes. And there is an order to doing these things as well. I mean, some people have come to you and said, I heard you talk about the DST, so I sold my property. I'm here with the cash. When they do that, they've blown the deal. Is it the same thing with a qualified opportunity zone? Is there a particular order that you have to do it in order to not blow the deal? Actually, the QOZs, uh, the rules are are much better than uh, 1031 exchange. 1031 exchange, they're very strict, and and you have short time periods, the 45 day rule. You know, you got to you can't be a minute late identifying property. You got to have hired a qualified intermediary before you sell. You know, your property closes. There's a lot of yeah stuff you got to do exactly right. With the QOZ, it's not quite that way. You have time on your side. I won't get into all the particulars on the radio here, but you do have time. You don't have to set it up beforehand. And so it, it does operate differently. But, you know, like I said, with everything, why be late when you can be early? <laughs> plan, plan, plan ahead of time. Just just know your options. Know all your options. And that's really what, again, what I think this show is about is know your options for your re- retirement, uh, for selling your business. Uh, I can't imagine, I, I just can't even picture a scenario where somebody says, well, I have a business to sell, but I think I'd be way better off not talking to Madrona Financial about <laughs> it than I would be if I did talk to them. So right. I'm going to choose not to. I'm going to go back to those seven deadly sins we were talking about uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the show. I'm going to do sloth. I'm just not going to bother because I'll be better off being slothful and not checking into all my options. I'm like, okay, I can't picture that scenario. So if you're selling a business, I'm going to say, I'm pretty sure you'll you'll benefit from the conversation, whether you, you use anything we, we have or not. I'm pretty sure you'll benefit somehow, some way from that conversation with us. Brad, I think the best piece of advice we can give people today is to plan ahead. If you're even thinking about a qualified opportunity zone or a Delaware statutory trust, a 1031 exchange, your best use of time would be to call 833-673-7373 and talk to the advisors at Madrona Financial and CPAs to find out what you can do to make sure that you have the outcome that you desire. Once again, that number, 833-673-7373. If you're interested in an opportunity zone or finding out more about a Delaware statutory trust and particularly tax minimization strategies, that is also the same number that you can use to request your Madrona 30-point analysis. And again, this 30-point analysis It's just a brief conversation that will help you identify some blind spots that, when addressed, can help you have a successful retirement, a retirement that could last 30-plus years. Again, there is no cost and there is no obligation for this Madrona 30-point analysis. We've opened the phone lines for you right now so that you can get in. That number is 833-673-7373. Friendly voice on the other end of the line will ask you a few basic questions, then put you in touch with an advisor who will get back to you within about a business day to set up that conversation. And again, no cost and no obligation whatsoever. 833-673-7373 is the number to call for your Madrona 30-point analysis. Brian, we have covered a ton of information on our show today. And for business owners, of course, we can help you minimize your taxes if you're selling that business. And of course, I really enjoyed our conversation today about those seven deadly sins. Really, really interesting conversation. Again, if you're just joining us and you want to hear the show in its entirety, we're a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Growing Your Wealth. With Brian Evans, you'll find this show and also daily takeaways so that you can keep on top of your finances and on top of your path to a successful retirement. 
Brian, we wish you well out there on the road, of course, on your educational tour. We hope you're back in the studio with us again next week, but we do appreciate your time. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DST investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliated entities Madrona Financial Services LLC, Madrona, and Bauer Evans Inc. PC. Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans.